Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is April the 8th, 2020. This is episode 2634 of the Survival Podcast. It's a Wednesday. We do have an interview today. Our special guest is named Michael Whistler. He's here to talk about developing as a polymath and trying to raise polymath children. While not a father himself, so he hasn't actually tried to do that yet, he was a kid who kind of came up as a polymath. So he's going to bring a little bit of that perspective to things today as well. And we're going to talk about some other subjects along the way. He's a really good guy, long-time listener to the Survival Podcast, good friend of the community, and uh, really happy to have him with us today. Before I bring Michael on, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Western Botanicals. Um, I have always said that herbs are kind of my first go-to when it comes to the nagging, incessant things in our lives. And then many small, acute injuries, scrapes and burns and stuff like that, um, Nature seems to have a remedy for everything if we only know where to look. The problem in the herbal industry is there are so many people who are scam artists and snake oil salesmen. So when I found Western Botanicals, got I guess nine years ago, and they talked about being a sponsor here, I was very happy to find a real, pe uh, real company with real people that really cared, that told the real truth. And if it's legal and herbal, you'll probably find it at Western Botanicals at westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, bulkammo.com. Look, guys, you know... It might be short, uh, a sh short supply over at BulkAmmo.com, but they have been a sponsor of the show for seven years. And if you want to bulk up on your ammo, the place to go is BulkAmmo.com. The reason I use Bulk Ammo is they ship so fast. I have my ammo here before I would have gotten to the store and bought it, and right now I don't want to go out anyway. So check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Uh, with that, before I bring our special guest on, let's talk about our um, quote of the day. I mentioned this yesterday. And somebody said, I know what that is, and they had it on their timeline or whatever, so they sent me the screenshot I was talking about. And it's about what to do with this time, specifically if you are someone who is out of work and you're at home. And it's by a guy named Anwar Douglas. I have no idea who Anwar Douglas is. Didn't look up his Twitter account or whatever. But he made this tweet on March the 31st, 2020 at 7.46 p.m. I know that because it's in the screenshot from Twitter. And this is what he said. This is the accurate quote that I was alluding to yesterday. If you don't come out of this quarantine with, one, a new skill, two, your side hustle started, or three, more knowledge, you never lacked time. You lacked discipline. I don't know who Anwar Douglas is, but he has made a very astute point right there. There are so many people that say, if I only had the time, I would. And then you give them the time and they say they're bored or they're locked up or it's not right, blah, 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 blah. You know, my credo has always been get shit done. And a lot of things that I talk about getting done, let's be honest, they're hard to do right now. They're, they're difficult and some of them are impossible to do right now. But a whole bunch of other ones, opportune time to do them right now. The key with getting shit done. One of the most important things there is when it comes to getting shit done is to first determine that which can be done and then do it. As simple as that is. God, I wish we were teaching that in school. I'm learning that you know, with, with my grandson with his schoolwork. I'll say, okay, well, here's your schoolwork for the day, right, because they're doing homeschool now. And he'll say, well, I don't know how to do this. I don't care. 
And he looks at me like I'm crazy. Like, I don't care what you don't know how to do. Go do everything you can do first. But I don't know how to do this. Uh, go do everything you can do first, or you will spend all day doing nothing but work. Go do everything you can do first, and then we'll worry about what you can't do. You might find that if you do everything you can do first, you'll figure out how to do the things you don't think you can do. Stop making excuses. Go. And that's the mindset. And what, I, what I'm realizing, it's not his fault. That they're taught to do things in a specific... Like if I give you this assignment in this order, you do it in this order. Well, maybe if you're in school and you're kind of all doing it together or something, that makes sense. But that is completely the converse of how people get shit done. What you do is you take all the things you can do and you do them. And then you take what time's left over and you figure out how to do the things you didn't know how to do. You knock shit out quickly. And that takes discipline. Now, we're going to talk about this today in a weird way, kind of a, a counter-argument to it. Because being a polymath actually looks undisciplined. Because you do a lot of things. Which means you quit a lot of things. You quit because you're bored. You quit because you got as far as you can for now. You quit because I don't really think that's going to benefit me any longer. You quit whenever it's time to do something else. But being a polymath, as you'll hear as we talk about this with our guest today, actually requires a totally different kind of discipline. It requires a discipline to always be willing to challenge yourself and always learn something new and always be willing to try a different way to get something done. With that, let me bring our special guest on right now. His name is Michael Whistler, longtime listener of the show. Um, he's an awesome dude, and uh, he's here to talk today about developing as a polymath in your life. And with that, hey, Michael, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Good to be here, Jack. Thank you very much. Hey, man, we're going to talk about um, one of my favorite subjects today, developing yourself as a polymath. And, and something else uh, that I really like talking about as well, which is developing that trait in your, your kids um, certainly something I think we need to be doing more of in our world today. Before we get into that, though, kind of give some idea to the audience about your background. Like, I, I've read your bio, and your path, is, as I use the term, is quite wonky. Uh, what what kind of did mm -hmm. you do when you got out of school leading up till now? Yeah, well, you know, I kind of started in the outdoor adventure, outdoor education, environmental education kind of world. Um, I studied outdoor rec, parks, and human ecology. Uh, I went to IU, that's Indiana University, and uh, I, I took a year-long internship with the national parks and worked in, an, in a historic orchard down in south-central Utah and uh, kind of got a taste of what government work was like, decided I wasn't really into that, but knew I wanted to go into sustainable food and um, you know after getting a taste of what the tourism industry was like I was more interested in going uh, more hands-on more practical more actually producing food um, in whatever way I could and through you know like you said wonky series of uh, different jobs I, I worked in the nursery trade I did a little bit of organic farming And uh, eventually got to the point where I started my own business uh, doing basically raised bed vegetable gardening on a subscription kind of basis. So my clients, you know, pay me to come out on a monthly basis and I kind of do the rotational planting schedule for them. I, I like to I like to say that my clients don't have to worry about much aside from watering and harvesting. I, I try to take care of everything else. Um So yeah, my business is easy peasy, garden solutions is what I call it, and uh, 
it's a little bit of a play on words. My my logo is a pea pod, and and uh, so I try to follow your advice of you know do what you say and say what you do, make it simple. Awesome, man. So hey, yeah. we're talking about polymath today. So what do you think it means to be a polymath? I've noticed if you ask that question to people, you'll get different answers. So what does it mean to you, and how have you applied the concept in your life? Yeah, well, you know, we kind of correlated it with uh, the idea of a renaissance man, but I think it's, uh, I don't know, that has its own connotations. I think it, it's best to kind of think of it as its own thing. And, and you know, if you look it up, the definitions, there's a couple of them. One, one being someone who utilizes varied knowledge and skills to solve complex problems. Um, and then the other one I saw was one who excels at many things. Now, I kind of think that first definition is the better one. Um, perhaps the second definition is more the result. And, uh, you know, if you, if you get to the point where you can draw on varied knowledge bases and varied skill sets to solve a problem, uh, you're just kind of bound to excel at whatever you do is kind of what I've come to believe. And, uh, you know, for me, what it takes to do that is, or at least in my experience, um, you know, I've always tried to have a willingness to kind of push my comfort zone. And, uh, and not only that, but always be open to new opportunities, both seeking them out and recognizing them when they kind of come to you. And, uh, and when you do have a new opportunity, being willing to kind of leave behind what you, what you're doing if, if the next opportunity is of, of merit and you stand to learn something new, stand to, get to a better place financially or otherwise. Um, you know, it's, it's all about kind of being adaptable in my opinion and being, um, willing to face whatever challenge you come across. You know, to me, being a polymath is not so much about being like, uh, Michelangelo or, you know, a Da Vinci or something that seems kind of unattainable. It's more, it's more about having kind of the mindset or a paradigm of, uh, of, being willing to address the problem, you know, one step at a time, not getting overwhelmed. And I think that really is important right now. I mean, a lot of people probably are feeling overwhelmed and, you know, this is just like anything else. It's a problem and we got to kind of find our solution. I'm of course referring to coronavirus, but, uh, anyways, I'm not sure if that fully answers. No, it does. Question, but yeah, it really is interesting too, because my follow-up question I had for that one was, uh, Along these lines, specifically mentioning like Da Vinci or Michelangelo or even Ben Franklin or somebody like that, I sure. think that a lot of people have gotten in their heads that like these famous polymaths are what it means to be a polymath. And I, I can't approach Da Vinci from the standpoint of no. I don't have the artistic, even if I have the intellect, I don't have the artistic ability. I, I can't draw the intricacies of the human muscular structure of the hand, right? I, right, I, I can't, right, and I'm right. not ever going to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, nor am I going to have the sword fighting capability of one of the three musketeers or something like that. But the way I kind of kind of liken it is like so if we think of like being a martial artist and you think of somebody like Royce Gracie or Chuck Norris or something like that and you're like these are like the most well known and some of the top martial artists in the world we could go through a, a big list of these people that are you know you know not just actors like Norris was actually a middleweight three-time champion in full-contact karate. Royce Gracie, one of the greatest martial artists of all time. So does that mean that the millions of people who practice martial arts 
you know, rigorously and develop their skill throughout their whole life and become highly skilled, but don't even come close to approaching uh, a Gracie or a Norris or a Bruce Lee or something like that. Does that mean they're not martial artists? And that, that's right, kind of no. absurd, right? Yeah. Like, of course they're martial artists. So they may look to a Gracie or a Norris or a Lee or somebody like that, you know, and say, like, I aspire to be more like this person, but they're not not in the club because they're not at the top of the heap. Exactly. No, I, you know, I always felt, when I first got started, I felt kind of funny referring to myself as a gardener because the truth was I, I didn't know a whole lot about gardening. I'd never actually had a garden of my own. And, uh, you know, so it feels a little, uh, presumptuous maybe to, to, to collect yourself in with these people. Uh, you know, one of my big heroes is Thomas Jefferson, probably one of the greatest gardeners ever to live. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. It's a little bit, in uh, intimidating to try to, you know, to strive to be like somebody of that kind of magnitude. Um, but the truth is you don't need to be, brilliant you just need to be adaptable like i said i think it starts really simply with curiosity um and purpose really uh mixed with a little bit of practicality you can't you can't get there without being realistic and you know it's all about setting setting goals um I, i'm a big believer in things like apprenticeship mentorship uh and friendship as being the biggest assets that we have sort of socially um, for expanding our horizons and learning new things. Um, I cannot understate the, the value that I have gotten from some of those relationships in my life, whether they be professional or, or personal. Um, you know, I've learned more from the people around me than I can, than I can express. And, you know, I have, I have clients that are probably better gardeners, um, by all accounts than I am. They've been doing it for 20 or 30 years. Uh, they more just brought me in as muscle and I've just been doing what I can to, to kind of learn from them along the way. So, you know, yeah, like you said, just because you're a, you know, a purple belt or whatever doesn't mean you're not a martial artist. Be a white belt and you can still be a martial <laughs> sure. artist. You're just a new one. And I think that yeah. you said, like, when you started gardening, you were hesitant to refer to yourself as a gardener. Well, do you have a garden? Do you garden? Yeah. Okay. You're a gardener. Right. Yeah, so exactly. with, with polymath, like, are you developing a multi skill set mentality and a multi mental discipline mentality so that you can do many things well rather than one thing amazing? And then, okay, then you are at least, you know, working into the world of polymath. Now, I do think there's a predisposition to this. Like, there are some people that really, I, I actually believe, like, I hate to use the word can't, but almost can't maybe. Hmm. Be, be of this mindset because they are such of the mindset towards specialization that even if they could do it, they'll be miserable. And then there's people like myself and probably like yourself to a degree that like if because I, I kind of identify to a degree with the character from Goodwill Hunting again, not to the intellect that that guy was supposed to have had. And let's remember it's a fictitious story, but sure. the concept when you know that Robin Williams' character was saying, you know, why do you want to build houses or whatever? Why don't you want to you know specialize in this? You could like cure cancer or so. I don't remember the exact words, but some shit to that effect. And like, you know, I kind of look back and I know I have teachers in high school that would just shake their head and go, this this guy could be a physicist or, you know, some amazing computer programmer or, you know, a doctor or research scientist or something like that if he would just apply himself to it. And I'm like, I would also want to kill myself. I, I don't want to live in that isolated world. So I think that 
it's something that maybe anybody can do, but not really right for everybody. And that it comes with some trade-off. Like, if you're going to be a polymath, you're probably not going to be the guy that gets a Nobel Prize for developing a cure for cancer. There's the exceptions. There is the Leonardo da Vinci or the Michelangelo that has certain things that they're just beyond, you know, they're, they're the master of one and the jack of the other trades. But most people, I think, if you make this choice, you won't have time to dedicate yourself to any one thing to be that absolute top person in that one thing. Yeah, well, I, 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 I know exactly what you're saying. Maybe not everybody could do it, but I do believe that it's kind of our natural state biologically. Um, you know, we are not meant to be hyper specialists. We are meant to be, um, you know, more in tune with our natural. Well, the, the human species has absolutely. been a generalist species for far longer than we've been exactly. a specialist species. Like the, we couldn't even begin to specialize till roughly we think maybe, possibly, maybe, despite how definitively the numbers used, still maybe 10,000 years ago with the dawn of agriculture to where humans could settle and somebody actually could sit around doing nothing but shaping flint into blades all day long. But before that, right. everybody ne needed to know how to, Kind of flint nap a little bit if you were in a place or to use obsidian or whatever was a fit. You see what I'm saying? Like you either knew how to make a cutting tool or you didn't have one for the vast majority of the time that the, 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 the homo sapien and the uh, other homo species have been around. We have been a generalist species. Right. Well, you know, the whole, the whole saying about, you know, agriculture being our greatest misstep. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it might be kind of true in this respect, but like you said before, before agriculture, people needed to at least know how to do everything for themselves, even if they didn't do it on a regular basis. They, you know, as part of the tribe, everybody knew at least a little bit of everything, I'm sure, you know, and, and I will say, you know, we don't know for certain, but there, there's a lot to be said for the idea that indigenous people and sort of the hunter gatherers of old, They had more free time, I think, than we give them credit for, um, especially given that they were living a, a sort of seasonal lifestyle. You know, when I lived in Utah, I I got to enjoy a lot of the petroglyphs and the the, the rock art that was left behind. Some of it was eight or nine thousand years old, left by you know these these cultures of people that we know very very little about, but they clearly had time on their hands, uh, at least for certain parts of the year, to do things like art. And uh, and obviously they were wrapped up in, in gathering and hunting for their food for, for other seasons of the year. But after they had done their hard work, they they were able to relax for, for, the, for the winter season. And that's when they put up these, you know, some, sometimes it's hard to believe how big these cave paintings and these, these petroglyphs are. Um, they must have built you know, structures, you know, scaffolding to, to put these huge, you know, 20 foot tall figures on the, on the, on the side of the cliffs. And you have to imagine, you know, they didn't do that for any other reason than sort of the enjoyment of it. That was their leisure is my assumption. Uh, I'm sure spiritual as well, but kind of the idea that I, I, I do think that being a polymath has more, more to do with, um, almost more to do with leisure than it does with work. How do you, how do you spend your off hours? And, and we could all kind of uh, appreciate that right now with, 
with being stuck at home more. Uh, we maybe maybe the best route to becoming a polymath is to pick up a hobby or two. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And you know, um, today's quote of the day. Somebody actually got with me yesterday that I talked about this. I couldn't find it though. There was a guy named uh, Anwar Douglas. I have no idea who he is. Just some random guy on Twitter. But what he said about this quarantine, he said, if you don't come out of quarantine with one, a new skill. Two, your side hustle started. Three, more knowledge. You never lack time. You lack discipline. Mm -hmm. And I think that polymaths are like this, almost a conundrum for people that really dig into this because you both have discipline and lack discipline. You, you yeah, have well, to, right? I, we lack I discipline agree. to be the I physicist, but we, we have the discipline to become well-versed in physics if we're interested in it while we're learning how to make an aquaponics system uh, and while we're figuring out the, the, the natural health way to, to, to possibly intervene with COVID and while we're figuring out how to train a dog. Like, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's this conundrum of lacking discipline selectively. Right. Yeah, and selectively well, choosing to have discipline until like, okay, I know enough about that now to no longer amuse myself with learning more about it for a while. So now I'm going to go do this other thing. It's why I've had almost 20 jobs in the last 10 years. Um, best of my knowledge. I, I never could stick around once I had realized that I was bored with something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe that's not something that everybody has, but I think, um, it's been, more of an asset for me than it has been a liability. Um, you know, I, I, I frankly can't understand. I, I've seen people that, you know, friends of mine who, who work the same job, you know, not that great of a job for years and years and years. And it's like, how are you satisfied there? How do you, uh, how do you not want something different? <laughs> I kind of respect it, but I don't understand it is exactly. the way that I see that. Yeah. Like my, my son is, is totally different than me. He kept his first job for 10 years. His first mm -hmm. job he got as a teenager, he kept for 10 years. Now he, he moved in the company, but he stayed one place for 10 years. I respect that. And when he wanted to go somewhere else, like an employer looks at that and goes, what? You work from 16 to 26 for one company? Yes, I'll hire you, right? Right. But I, you know, to me, I was always like, okay, so in the next six months, am I going to learn something that is going to benefit me long term, or am I going to be able to move to where I make a shitload more money? Neither of those? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to do something else. Right. I'm right. going to move over to move up type of thing, you know? And honest to God, the only thing that I've done for more than 10 years in my life consecutively is be a father and be a podcaster. Like, sure. you know, and it, podcasting lets me do everything, right? I I held my average job for about two years. In spite of being very well paid and very well thought of and, you know, having long-term success ahead of you, like, you can be, you know, you can run the division or whatever. What, 10 years from now? Screw that. I, and by the way, I'm watching you do it and you hate your life. So, <laughs> so I can already do your job. I can already see what your job's going to be like. And I got to give you 10 years to have it. I, no. And, but I, On the other side of that, like, when did you really start to think this way? When did this become, like, a part of, like, where you were at least consciously doing this? Because I think, like, I, if you would have asked me when I was 24, are you a polymath, the correct answer would have been yes. And my answer would have been, what is a polymath? Mm -hmm. Right? I wouldn't have known that that's what I was. If you would have described it, I'd have been like, yeah, that's kind of like me. But I wasn't even consciously doing it. It would have been in my late 20s, early 30s. It became more well-read and all like, oh, that's me. It, was there anything that kind of tipped you off to, like, I want to develop this more and that this is what I naturally am? Yeah, so um, 
it's kind of a combination of a lot of things, obviously. Um, I wouldn't have known, like you said, the word polymath, uh, until listening to your podcast, but you know, I think it kind of started with really, I mean, I was a kid, like a lot of us that were, I was kind of raised on television. Um, one, you know, my favorite probably genre was the cowboy, you know, movie, you know, the Western mm-hmm. and, uh, absolutely loved butch cassidy and the sundance kid um you could almost wrap terminator into that same genre Mm -hmm. if you if you stretch it a bit but you know i always uh had a fascination with this idea of the open road and you know that that scene at the end of the first terminator is what i'm referring to okay where it's sarah connor she's in a jeep she's got her dog in the passenger seat and she's driving down a highway to nowhere um you know i always kind of was fascinated with that that image and I wanted to make that a reality for myself. So the first, I guess, major milestone would have been, uh, when I graduated high school, me and a few buddies, we borrowed my mom's, uh, SUV and we, we packed it full of camping gear that we borrowed and bought. And we, uh, we loaded up and we spent a month traveling around the West, you know, Western States. We backpacked in Colorado. We hung out in California. We went to the grand Canyon. We did all sorts of cool stuff. Um, you know, and just kind of like the, the, the logistical side of it was what I really, uh, took charge of. It was my trip and I, I loved, you know, the, the planning and the execution of it. And, you know, basically that, that concept of visualizing sort of what you want to achieve and then, and then finding a way to make it a reality. I mean, I had this kind of vision of taking a big trip, probably, I don't know, halfway into my high school career and, and started saving money, uh, you know, that was always it, Put you know, putting money away for the trip, for the trip. And, uh, you know, I was lucky, I was lucky to have that opportunity. Um, you know, that obviously comes from a place of, you know, being in a relatively secure family situation. My, my mom was happy to lend us her car. Uh, she said there was no way in hell I was taking my beat up old Jeep, uh, <laughs> despite the fact I wanted to. Anyways, uh, so that was probably the, the big kind of seed. And, and when I got to school, I, I thought maybe I'd studied geology or something. I knew I had a pretty good idea I wanted to work outdoors and uh, didn't even know it was a possibility till I got there. But, you know, Indiana University offered this program, Outdoor Recreation. And, and with that, it, you know, there were options for, um, you know, intensive leadership programs. And I actually got to take my permaculture design course while I was in college and and got credit for that. And, um, you know, so I, I, I was very lucky to, uh, kind of find my path that way. I, I was never given any option as far as whether or not I was going to go to college. It was, it was, it was an assurance. It was not something I ever, I ever questioned. Uh, you know, I remember once being, uh, interested, I, I expressed interest in going to the trade school, uh, maybe my sophomore year, freshman or sophomore year of high school, I was interested in doing auto mechanic training. And, uh, and I remember being told that, you know, you're going to go to college. You don't need to do that. That's what the poor kids do. Uh, hmm. which is kind of funny in hindsight, you know, I've kind of become a self-trained mechanic and I've always regretted not having that, that more, uh, you know, that more formal training because I'm sure it would have come in handy. But anyways, just, you know, there's, there's always been that kind of inkling in my, in my mind of wanting to understand how things work and, and wanting to, to create, the future that I kind of see for myself. I think that is kind of the origin of all of it. Is there any point 
where you kind of regretted being a polymath? You know, maybe you should have got a real job or something? Or, like, is there any point where you think, yeah, that kind of maybe held back something that it would have been good to have done some other way? I tell you, there, you know, there have been certainly a few times. Um, you know, when I, when I lived and worked on site, uh, for a nursery down in southern Indiana, I was, I was living in a cabin off grid, uh, no running water, you know, spotty solar electricity, you know, just kind of lonely, broke. Uh, I, I actually got a dog, which went a long way to helping the lonely factor. Um, but just kind of like, times where, you know, despite the fact that I feel like I'm on my own path, um, it's just like, man, if I dug myself into this hole that I am never going to get out of, am I, am I unemployable? And, you know, are these skills really going to translate, you know, if, 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 you know, and now since I've started my own business, uh, you know, and I jumped in basically with both feet, um, you know, if, if things don't work out, what am I going to do? You know, am I even, am I even capable of taking orders at this point? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So there've been moments of, of, of doubt. Uh, but to be honest, I think it's been worth it. I've, I've felt lucky that I've lived with a certain, you know, sense of freedom, a certain sense of purpose. Um, I've never, never really let other people stop me or, or change the direction in which I'm going. Um, you know, it's, you can't really put a price on that, but you know, I'm, I'm finally starting to make the money I think I deserve and that, that feels good. But you know, there's, there's always been that as a, you know, straight out of school, kind of trying to do something different. Um, you know, when I worked for the park service, I was getting $3 and change an hour, um, as an intern and, and that was pretty tricky, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, part of being a polymath, you make it work. That's, that's what you do. You don't, you don't complain about it. You just keep going. Yeah, you know, I mean, when I first moved to Texas, my first job here is I worked in a warehouse and I packed boxes for $5.90 an hour. Sure. Right. And, you know, at that point, had you pointed out all this to me, I might have said, yeah, this kind of sucks because, you know, I I'd came out of the Army as a mechanic. I didn't want to touch a wrench ever again unless it was for my own amusement. Uh, I could have went, you know, just... As an ASE certified tech, I could have went out and got a job doing that, and here I am in a warehouse killing myself until I, you know, make a connection that gets me into the telecom field. But like, if you told me to look back on that now and say, well, wouldn't you have been better off if you didn't come sleep on your buddy's floor and make five dollars and ninety cents an hour for four months? You know, no, it would have sucked. Yeah. Like, I would right. all this shit that I have, I wouldn't have. Like. Right. Everybody, I think, goes through a broke-ass phase. You can do that as a college student or you can do that as a life student. But you're, unless you're born into money, you're going to do that anyway. So it may be, you know, that, okay, well, maybe I could have been somebody that went out and did some kind of major research that impacted humanity uh, in, in a more codified scientific way. But the other side of it is I feel like, well, I've done an awful lot of research that's, like, you know, impacted humanity as a podcaster. So... It's kind of a wash. Like, there are things that you give up, but in return, there's things that you gain. It's not a simple equation of since you did this, you don't get anything, you know, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You know, I think um, a good way of thinking of it is it doesn't, it doesn't make life easier necessarily, but it does maybe make life simpler to kind of live with this, this paradigm of being a polymath. Um, and, you know, for me, I guess... I've always 
like anybody, I've had a certain degree of anxiety, you know, especially about choosing my career path back when I was kind of wrestling with that, that question, uh, you know, anxiety about the state of the world. Um, I mean, for me, that was, that was a big part of my college experience was kind of doom and gloom fear about the environment, which I, I had to kind of move beyond and realize, you know, the world's not going to end tomorrow. Let's keep, let's keep going. Let's do something uh, positive, but let's not dwell on it. Um, you know, I think the more I've learned, the more skills I've gathered, a big part of this has been kind of overcoming um, that analysis paralysis effect of, you know, just kind of sitting around twiddling your thumbs, not knowing what to do. Um, you know, the, the further along I go, uh, I, you know, I just kind of, as, as a problem comes up in my life, I'll just tackle it. I'll just get right into it. I don't, I don't let the anxiety in like I used to. Um, so that to me is what I get out of it. You know, there, like you said, there are some trade-offs. I could have maybe gotten a job, you know, maybe studied business, gotten a job in sales, had good benefits, you know, be making close to six figures by now. You know, I'm 26 years old. Um, but you know, I wouldn't trade it for, for the world. I, I get to take three or four months off at a time and have a lot of fun with that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's worth it. I think it's totally worth it. Uh, I completely agree. Do, do you think that in any way it simplifies life or does it make life more complicated to be a polymath? Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it makes, I, I think it makes life a lot simpler. Um, like I said, if not, if not necessarily easier, definitely simpler. Um, and I guess I'll use an example of, of a recent trip I took, um, a little over a year ago, me and a friend, we jumped in my truck, uh, and I drive, I drive a pretty old truck. It's actually older than I am. It's an old Toyota and, uh, bought it for a thousand dollars. I've put 50,000 miles on it since. Uh, I'm pretty proud of the little thing, but me and my buddy, we, we packed up all our gear. We, we headed out to kind of my old stomping, stomping grounds in Utah. And, uh, I had a friend out there. He's a, old union carpenter and he's building his retirement house for him and his wife right now. And so we went out there, we spent a couple of weeks working. Um, and so, I mean, in terms of this trip, you know, not only were we able to go out to a beautiful place, have a lot of fun, do some adventuring, uh, we were going to make some money along the way. We were, you know, scheduled to work a couple of weeks and get paid a pretty decent, you know, hourly wage and help, help my friend build his house. And, and we were about five hours away from, uh, from getting to our, our destination when my truck decided to start spewing oil. It started, you know, spraying all over the windshield and down the sides of the truck. You could see it, you know, gathering everywhere. And, and, uh, we just kept putting oil into it until we got to where we were going and, and parked it at my, at my buddy's, you know, garage there on his property. And, you know, he, <laughs> He said, well, you know, you're welcome to use the garage. Um, there's not really, you know, any reason not to. And you guys are here anyways. We were, we were already going to be there for two weeks. So we just started ordering parts and tearing the thing apart. Turned out to be, you know, a 10 cent oil ring in the, in the oil pump. Uh, but we had to tear it down to the point of we replaced the timing belt and the water pump and a bunch of other stuff while we were at it. Not only did we learn how to do all that, but we did it for the price of parts. And the entire time we were stuck there, we were making money anyways. So, I mean, that doesn't sound like a simple trip, but it really was. It was, uh, 
you know, about a month of being on the road and it didn't cost us anything. And, uh, we had a lot of fun. We just kind of hunkered down and if we weren't building the house, we were working on the truck. It was, it was a blast. Cool, man. So, um, when it comes to raising kids, this is an interesting one for, for me to ask you because I didn't really, I've tried on a lot of levels to, to make the education for my son pretty diverse, but I was, in spite of kind of moving around a lot, I was still majorly employed um, as my son came up. So that takes you out of the house a lot. I'm trying more with my grandson. How have you tried to um, get the concept of polymath into raising children? And what do you think it takes to raise a polymath, especially in today's world where like specialization is so valued? It's, it's so uh, esteemed that this person is, you know, a blah, 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 with a bunch of credentials after their name or whatever. Uh, and I'm glad we had, let me, before I, let you take over. I'm freaking glad we have those people, right? Those people do amazing work in some very specific areas, but I don't want to be in their world, and I think most people don't. Like, there's a reason that's the minority of people. Yeah. So let me first say I don't have any children, so okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna come at it with that kind of qualifier. But um, you know, I am a child in some ways. I'm I'm a young young adult, anyways, and I have nieces and nephews that I care for dearly. Uh, I have had a lot of conversations with my my sisters about sort of their their parenting, just sort of their strategies and things. I, I've worked in summer camps and I've I've had multiple jobs kind of as an educator of kids. So in some ways, I feel qualified to speak on it, um, if not from a parent's perspective, from from a child's. I will say that at least for me, I think I benefited uh, greatly from being the youngest um, in that my parents, by the time I came around, kind of had a certain measured neglect. Um, I was left to entertain myself, to, to follow my own interests. Um, there wasn't a lot of pressure to live up to any certain expectations. They just kind of let me do my thing. And um, I think that's, you know, by nature of being the youngest, that happens often. But I think um, in some ways we're living at a time where, you know, I get the impression that my my grandparents might have, their generation, maybe I'm speaking in generalities now, um, maybe didn't do as much sort of of the love, you know, speaking about how much they love their kids or they didn't love on their kids quite as much as, as our baby boomers are loving on their kids. You know what I mean? Um, I think that there's, there was a certain shift from being sort of the negligent parents to being the helicopter parents, and we have to kind of come back to somewhere in the middle. Um, I think that, you know, obviously you need to love your kids. You need to support them. You need to provide for them. Uh, but you don't need to, you know, I think I, I just see a lot of parents that kind of talk down to their kids and don't necessarily treat them, um, you know, like the people, like the small people that they are. They, they kind of, uh, try to micromanage the childhood. And I think you have to let your kid, you know, run around and scrape their knee and, and, and get a little dirty every now and again. And, and, uh, again, you know, I, I, I guess I won't speak to it too much being that I'm not a parent, but I'm, I'm grateful that my parents really kind of let me just, you know, I, I was outdoors a lot playing with my friends, not, not being uh helicopter, helicopter parented, um, they kind of they kind of left me to my own devices, and I think really that might be uh, you know 
the gist of it. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're bringing up a good point there. Like, you know, I'm Gen X, and I'm dead center Gen X. I am, if you wanted, like, if, if, if you put latchkey kid in the dictionary, they could put a picture of me when I was, you know, 10 mm. in, in, in the dictionary. I mean, this is what a latchkey kid looks like, except we didn't really latch the key very much because we always were outside. But we, we, I am the generation that completely raised itself. And it's not me. It's the whole, like, all my friends, everybody, like, You, you, like even if you went to a friend's house, you never saw their parents. You know, even if they were home, you didn't see them. They stayed away mm -hmm. from you on purpose. Like, like leave them alone. They're kids. They're doing kid shit. You know, don't bother them. And there was a real freedom in that. But I kind of feel like there was a an over an overplay on that. Mm -hmm. Like, like they were like it was like part of the fourth turning, right? Like they, that's just how it was. And then it wasn't. My generation that overdid it, it was kind of the, the, the I guess they call them Xennials, like the little bit younger Gen Xers to the oldest Millennials that seem to have gone full helicopter. And it's probably because mm -hmm. my generation, we did a shitty job. Like, we raised that gen, the Gen X raised that generation along with kind of the tail end of the, the, the boomers, right? Like the, 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 the second phase of the boomers, like that that group is what raised these kids and we we did it different but I don't know how we I don't know exactly how we screwed it up and maybe it's because I didn't really see what my contemporaries were doing I only saw what I did and I wasn't totally hands off I mean we always had the kids at our place we were always hanging out with the kids but what I can remember is like all like our contemporaries as parents that you know were parents of these kids that were hanging out at my house were like why why do you why do you always have them at your house Like, they couldn't understand that we would tolerate, you know, eight boys playing Dance Dance Revolution in our basement. Sure, sure. Right, and then we would go down there with them, and they had their own refrigerator with all their garbage in it and stuff. And it was like, well, if they're here, then we know what they're doing. And yeah, by the well, way, while you're, while you're taking all your liberal nonsense and talking to your husband about it, I'm teaching your kid how to think for himself, and I am teaching him in my libertarian politics. Right, and you're not right. doing it. You're not, and it seemed like maybe the reason I don't quite get it is I didn't do it, and I didn't really see it other than that byproduct of it, you know. But I think that's what happened. Like we went totally hands off, and then this next generation was like, well, you know, Daddy wasn't there, you know, like the song from uh, Austin Powers, mm -hmm. right? Daddy yeah. wasn't there, and so they were like, well, I'm gonna because I see it in my son, even though I was there, like. He will not miss a single activity to the point of actually making some decisions that are probably bad on the macro. Like, you know, it would have been better had you actually slept since you worked a double shift. Sure, um, sure, sure. And I think maybe that overreaction has resulted in like this. Because what I'm seeing in my, my grandkids now, because they're here every day and I'm doing their schoolwork and my wife's doing their schoolwork with them, is without somebody that knows the exact answer sitting there justifying everything they do, they can't have an opinion. Mm. And, it, and in like two weeks, we're broken that, right? Like, we're, you, just throw that away. Like, you can't be wrong because there's no one here to tell you you're wrong instead of you can't be right because there's no one here to tell you you're right. But it was hard. It was frustrating as hell. Because the question would be like, well, what do you think about this? Uh, there is, you understand there's no wrong answer to that. And, he would, and it took a while. And I mm -hmm. think that that's like this weird dynamic we've created, and we have this whole generation now, and it ain't their fault. I keep saying that when people think I'm bagging on them. It's not their fault, but they can't move without approval and validation. Right, the I don't know generation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think there's obviously, it, it, it varies. 
obviously kid to kid and, and through the ages, you know, I think in particular, um, I'll speak to sort of the older kids, you know, let's say 16 to 26, uh, shall we say. And I, th- I think it's an epidemic right now of parents that are unwilling to cut the umbilical cord, uh, so to speak, you know, uh, financially or otherwise, um, you know, not letting, not, not giving the kid the benefit of the, you know, kicking them to the curb. I think, you know, it's all out of a good place, but I, I was always expected after getting out of college to be fully emancipated, fully, you know, financially self-sufficient, mm. but there was always, you know, this offer on the table, so to speak of, and, and it had been offered multiple times, you know, and I actually took my parents up on it when I needed a, a truck repair done um, and didn't have the cash to do it that, you know, if you need help, we'll give it to you. And not that that's a bad thing, but I, I think it should be wielded carefully and not necessarily offered up freely. I think the best thing you can probably do for your older child is make very clear from say, you know, the teenage years on that at a certain point you are on your own and you know, your mom and I, we're going to live our lives the way we want to live it and, you know, come and visit us, but you're not our child, so to speak, anymore. You are an adult and you need to take care of yourself. I don't think that's something that enough parents really hammer on. I think, I think that's important. Yeah, I, I would agree with that um, a lot. I mean, I used to joke, but yet there was some truth with it to my son that, you know, by your 21st birthday, one of those birthdays between like 18 and 21, one of your gifts is going to be a giant box of huge contactor-grade hefty sacks mm. to carry your shit out of my home with. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you don't need yeah. luggage to do that. You need hefty sacks. And wherever you go, you can dump it there and organize it as you see fit. Mm-hmm. And it seems harsh, but I think that like the alternative is what they call failure to launch, a 29-year-old that lives at home. You know, exactly. And I think what's worse than a 29-year-old that lives at home, a, a 29-year-old who went to college from 18 to 25 or 26, because they took five to six years to get through it, right, then moves home. Like, they never really moved out. Their room remained a shrine or whatever. And I think, like, my view is if you are not consciously working yourself out of a job, then you're not a good parent. Mm-hmm. I'll always mm-hmm. be your dad, and I'll always do dad things. But I am not going to be daddy. I think there's a point where you go from mommy and daddy to dad and mom. Right? right? Because if you think about the way we used the term when we were kids of mommy or daddy or whatever we would call our parents, it was very much a I am the kid, this is you know mommy or daddy or whatever. But by the time you got to the point where you know you were saying dad, you were kind of like, you know, the old man, I gotta kinda take care of him. Mm-hmm. Even even if your old man was still better off than you, you still kinda had that mindset of like yeah, dad, like the older people, they don't, and I don't know that uh, there's arrogance there, sure, but I don't know that it's harmful because what it asserts is, well, I've got my shit together. And I don't think it's a greater gift you can give to your kids than having their shit together by the time they're in their early 20s so they can start building a life instead of, you know, they, a lot of, like, to me it seems like our generation kind of, I don't how old you are, when I saw, say my generation, we kind of hit our stride at like 28. That's where we had kind of hit like the real peak of our careers, where you were in a real job that had real advancement. Or if you're like me and you, you were moving around, but you kind of knew what you were. And, you know, by the time you were like 32, you had something that you did that was somewhat 
in, in the world of, of what you did was somewhat important or leadership or, or whatever. And, and you see people now, they're 29 years old and are still making coffee at Starbucks. And I'm not putting down making coffee at Starbucks, especially if you're a polymath that does that for extra money. But if that's, if that's your thing, like, I, I hope you're at least a manager. No, I'm a trainee. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you see what I'm saying? Like, somehow this whole concept of, like, getting your shit together and getting on a career path by the time you were 20, you know, early 20s, went out the window and people aren't even worried about it until they're 30 now. And you've lost a decade. And man, you know what? I think when you're 30, you're like, so what? Dude, when you're 50, you're like a decade? A decade's a lot. You're like, I'm going to be 60. I'm going to be freaking old in 10 more years, you know? Right. Well, you know, in some ways, um, you know, I, I'm fascinated with the idea of sort of rites of passage and um, sort of moving from one chapter of life to the next. And I think, it, you know, in terms of, you know, back to the question of how to raise a polymath, I think it's important um, to kind of give them the benefit of a sort of ceremony every now and again saying, okay, you are going from, say, young childhood to middle childhood, and now you have some responsibilities. And, you know, you're, here's the deal. You're going to, you know, have your, you're going to have your allowance, but you've got to work for it. And then, you know, say when they're 16 or 18, all right, now you are officially going from a child to an adult. And that means X, Y, and Z. And here's what we're going to do to help you from here until your next sort of, you know, final rite of passage transition into complete emancipation. Uh, you know, I, I think, it's almost as if it's like pulling teeth right now, really slowly, uh, you know, to, to become an adult. This is from my perspective. Um, I won't speak for anybody else, but just that it's like I didn't know for about six or eight years. Am I am I a grown up or am I a kid? You know, I just wasn't sure. It's like nobody told me if I was an adult yet because uh, people are still treating you like a kid. But, you know, you're kind of halfway there and. You know, it's, I think we need to give our kids uh, that benefit of, of, you know, hey, here's what you are now, and this is what you got to do about it. Absolutely, man. So um, how about knowing how to quit? You know, it's, I think it's actually something maybe we're really good at, but maybe being strategic with it. When's the time to quit or make a change, end a relationship, what have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier. I've had a lot of jobs, um, so that means I've, I've become a bit of an expert. If I'm an expert at anything, I might be an expert at quitting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've never done it without a good reason. And and I think there's always a time and a place where you've got to recognize if, if you've gotten what you what you can get out of a certain opportunity or a certain relationship and when, when it's gone sort of stale or, or possibly even toxic. I, I, I won't go into the details, but I, I quit a job, um, not that long ago, sort of my, my supplemental job. I, I was flying out and doing some construction work and, and just over the course of the last few, um, trips, you know, it just became clear that things weren't going to get any better between me and my boss. And, and it wasn't an easy thing to do because the money was really good. And, you know, it was kind of a part time, you know, I'd fly out for a week or two and come back. Um, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to say no to, but, but finally it just got to the point where I was so emotionally exhausted by the entire thing. Um, you know, I'd go on these trips. I, 
I'd come back and be basically pissed off. And, uh, yeah, I'd have a big chunk of money in my pocket, but I found that it just wasn't worth it anymore. And, and truly it was becoming a distraction on what really mattered. And that's my own, my own business, my own life. Um, so I, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily say there's a silver bullet, you know, kind of to know when it's right. But I think quitting is a virtue more than anything. Um, as long as it's done for the right reasons, it's always, it's always better to move on and get out of a bad situation if you have to. Um, even, even if you feel obligated to stay, I, I feel that, um, you know, your biggest obligation is to yourself and to your own family and, and anything else needs to be kept within a certain perspective. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would concur with that. Um, you, you are kind of a recent college graduate. What are your feelings based on, you know, kind of this mindset against what you saw in the real world with higher education? Do you think it was even worth it to go to college for you? I would say yes, but with some caveats. Okay. Um, First, did you I, pay for it? That's a good question. That's where I was going to start. Okay. No, <laughs> no. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was totally worth it, Jack. Uh, I didn't pay a penny for it. Um, no, I, you know, I'm lucky in that, in that, that was my dad's biggest goal in life was to send all of his kids to school and, uh, and to pay it fully. Um, and he, he achieved that. And it's, you know, really something to marvel at. Uh, especially when you think about how expensive tuition is. Um, it's not something that ever, you know, eluded me, the, the amount of money that my, that my folks were putting into my education. And in some ways it, it kind of led to a bit of a guilt co complex at times. Cause I felt like, uh, you know, I was kind of aimless at first. And, uh, and then can you imagine you're, you're, you're paying all this money and your kid comes back and says they're going to study outdoor recreation. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> so my, you know, I had to kind of talk them into that. Um, they were very supportive with a little bit of, uh, you know, persuasion. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was always this kind of thing where, you know, they, they never held it over my head, at least not intentionally, but there was always this kind of, uh, power dynamic of, you know, well, as long as we're paying for your school, you're gonna, you know, you got to answer to us. Right. And, um, I'm not going to say that, that's a bad thing or whatever, but it, it just, it was what it was. In some ways I, I almost, uh, you know, if I had known what I wanted to do, let's put it this way. Um, as far as being a gardener, I could have gotten a jump start on it, um, a lot earlier. And I think in, in some ways college has become a very expensive party and I learned a lot and I, I met a lot of really good people. I, I was not the kid that partied, you know, that much. I uh, certainly had fun. But, you know, I can kind of see um, there's just something. There, there is a disproportionate cost to the value, if you ask me, in, mm. the, in the higher education system. Um, I'm glad I didn't bear the burden of it. I really I feel a lot of sympathy for my, for my buddies that are, you know, carrying – exorbitant student loan debt. Um, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine what that feels like for them. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, are struggling to find good work even, uh, with their, with their degrees. There's, we have an overeducated workforce and, uh, you know, 
like I said before, I, I kind of missed an opportunity with trade school. I think why not why not encourage your kid to start there and see where they see where they end up. Uh, you know, college isn't going to go anywhere. You might as well explore as many options as you can. And well, let's say you started say, with fabrication and welding, mm-hmm. and then that person decides I want to go further with that. Well, they're going to make a great engineer. Oh, yeah. They're going to make an engineer that's not going to make a car that's going to make me want to track them down as a mechanic and kill them in their sleep. Right? <laughs> right. Except that you deserve a right. painful death, so I'm going to do like the burning bed from back in the 80s. I'm going to sew your mattress to your to your sheets so you can't get out, throw gas on you. Then I'm going to wake you up and set you on fire because you put the freaking starter motor under the <laughs> intake manifold on the Cadillac. Right? The guy that starts, I'm serious, you think I'm making that up. Both of those are real stories. It was called the burning bed. It was a wife who was abused and she, she sewed her husband into the bed and set him on fire. Good riddance. Uh, but the, the starter motor under the intake mat- manifold of the Cadillac North Star motor is a real thing. A mm. part designed to fail and made to be replaceable was placed under the intake manifold on the top of the engine block. Sure. I guarantee you the engineers that did that did not start out with a with a background in welding and fabrication. They probably never turned a wrench. No, so, so they have no idea other than we can make this fit and it'll be smaller, right? Like that was right. the only goal. How do we fit this motor in this space with no concept of what you were doing to the maintenance and upkeep of the vehicle? And so if you wanted your kid to go into engineering and they wanted to start out doing some kind of fabricating and welding and stuff, it's a great place to start anyway. And then maybe they'll find that since I can make eighty grand as a welder right now, that either I don't want to go to school or I'm going to go to school part time and I can easily pay for it. I mean, there's right. so many options that opens up, and you have people that come out of school and they wish they could get a, do- a job for eighty grand a year, and we, we are we have this educated society that's also stupid because mm-hmm. they don't know how to apply what they know. So if I ask. You'll know the answer to this, but if I ask the average person with a college degree this question, they will have an answer for it. Why is silver worth more than copper? Because there's more copper than silver. It's more rare. So if something's rare, it has value. Why is gold worth more than silver? It's even more rare. It has certain properties and all, but really you can make almost anything out of out of copper, silver, or gold, and it will function similarly. There's some electrical properties where silver and gold are better, but in general, they kind of do the same stuff. The, the disposition of price is totally based on rarity more than any other factor. So then you ask them, well, since everybody has a college degree today, why does nobody give a shit? And they don't know. They don't understand. They can't look at it and go, well, gee, you know, maybe the reason my parents did so good with a college degree is like 35% of people in America had an advanced, you know, a degree at all, and 15% had advanced degrees. And now, like 75% of people have some college up to and including like a four year degree, and they can't do shit. So the only, I'm looking at your college degree like a high school diploma in many ways. Mm -hmm. I still have to teach you your job. You know, so, I mean, I, I, you've probably, if you've listened to my show, you probably know I had a conversation one time when I was a partner in a headhunting firm and they were hiring CSRs, just customer service reps. People answer the phone and read shit, you know, and mm-hmm. redirect calls and this is why your, you know, your toaster oven doesn't work or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we want people, blah, 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 two years, keyboard skills, basic software skills, and a four year degree. So I just look at this guy and I'm like, well, what the hell do they need a four-year degree for to do this job? You see, yeah. they, they don't. They, I mean, they don't. But, you know, there's so many people that have one. We might as well get that when we hire people. 
Mm-hmm. That's what you just paid twenty thousand dollars a year for four years for. Yeah, you know, I I feel I feel lucky in that I actually did walk away from college with some some you know practical skills, sure, uh, hard and soft skills. You know, I I did not have your typical college experience. Um, you know, so for example, I I got to take my wilderness first responder, and I actually took it twice in my college. Uh, career and that you know I, I got my sort of hands-on medical training through that and I got credit for it as well uh, towards my diploma I also took part in a program called core uh, also known as conservation and outdoor recreation education and that was a semester long intensive outdoor leadership program we actually spent uh, about three weeks in the backcountry out in Utah um, and you know, so I, I got to learn sort of hands-on. I got to do facilitation, uh, instruction, and risk management. And so, I mean, I I took all these kind of special programs, not to mention the permaculture design course, uh, through my college experience. And the whole time, you know, like I said, I had to kind of talk my folks into it because it sounded a little bit weird to study outdoor recreation. But I said, you know, all of these things that I'll learn are going to translate, and I'll be I'll be worth something to somebody as a result. I know that much. And I kind of, I kind of sold them on the faith that, you know, there's a lot of money being spent in the outdoors right now. In fact, I've, I've heard that it's the second most, uh, second largest spending category behind healthcare in our country is outdoor recreation. Uh, whether or not that's true, I'm not certain, but Anyways, it, you know, it's, it's it's the kind of thing where I lucked out. I did not waste four years, you know, getting a, a English degree or something. I I really got a lot out of my college experience. Uh, but you know, yeah, I I can't imagine. Um, you know, there's just so many kids that are pushed into it like I was that go four years and they still have no clue, and then they come out the other end of it. You know, saddled with debt. And, well, yeah, they're and, pushed in, but they're made and, to take a loan by their parents. And people say, you know, they shouldn't complain. They were an adult when they took the loan. No, their dad and their mom told them to do it. And when you're 18 right. and you've been raised by a helicopter mommy and daddy, and mommy and daddy yeah. say to do something, you do what they sign the paper and you'll you'll make the money back. And they believe it. And that's that's the trap. So first they educated our grandparents to tell us to go to college. Then they educated us to make our kids go to college. Then they took our kids and they've trained them to force their kids to go to college and take on massive debt. It's a multi-generation conditioning at this point, and it's it's sad that people don't see it and that people get enraged if you point out the value propositions no longer there. Uh, right. Matt Powers, who's been on the show, who was a before he went in the world of permaculture, was a teacher at a charter school had his kids do a very interesting project. I thought this was, and I think everybody should do this if you're going to spend the kind of money you spend to go to college. He said, I want you to find out how much money people make, you know, in, in the first 10 years after they get out of school with a degree like the one you think you want right now. And then I want you to find out how much it's going to cost you to go to school. And then I want you to find out how long it's going to take for you to pay for your education. He, that's all he did. He almost got fired. No kidding. And wow. parents were angry, angry that you would subject a decision to take on $100,000 of debt to a simple financial analysis. 
And the only reason that outrages somebody is because they already know the answer, but they don't want to admit they know the answer. And they damn sure don't want little Johnny or Susie, who they have big dreams for, to know the answer to that. And it's 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 a world we've got ourselves into. I, and I, I, I sit here and wonder of the, you know, COVID sucks, but there are going to be some benefits. And I wonder how big of an impact this is going to have on that whole system. Like, people are sitting home right now and doing all their college work and all of their post-secondary work and all their grade school work and all their high school work and all that shit and figuring out, wait a minute, those giant buildings and all that expense that I'm paying for, I don't actually need that to gain this knowledge. And I think that's kind of like one of those things that once you know it, you can't unknow it. Mm-hmm. I think we all intrinsically knew it, but we didn't really know it. We had this wall of... Um, protection that many people use this normalcy bias this you know perception bias wall but once you break that wall down it's like the matrix you just take the pill dude you can mm-hmm. never not know this ever again you can never forget it that type of thing yeah no i completely agree uh it's once you once you see it you can't unsee it, it like i said i i never had any uh any sort of say in the matter it was you're going to go to college whether you like it or not <laughs> Not quite that aggressively, but you get my drift. Absolutely. So um, I'm just going to clarify so nobody thinks I'm, you know, left field hitting you here or something, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that you have this in your notes for me to talk to you about. So what about use of things like cannabis or other substances? Have you tried that? Has it affected you? And I think most people that would call themselves a polymath would say, yeah, I've used some substances. And today we're probably way more honest about it than we were 20 years ago when there was a real fear that just by saying it publicly, somebody might show up at your house and say, hey, we got a warrant. So, like, how has that affected you at all? Yeah, well, that's kind of exactly why I wanted to include the the question. And I I was a little bit hesitant to, for the exact reason you just cited. Um, But, I, you know, I I have been very honest uh, with my parents, with my family, uh, with most of my coworkers and employers over the past handful of years. I, I will put it this way. Um, part of my fascination with growing food and growing plants in general started with my first experience smoking pot and being kind of opened up to the idea of, you know, the, the connection between the earth and our, our psyche. And, uh, you know, just like with caffeine or with alcohol, um, you know, it, these these substances are potentially useful, in my opinion. And I'm saying all this with a, you know, with a big degree of of uh, care. I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to tell anybody how to live their lives. What I am encouraging is that we stop stigmatizing the use of things like cannabis, things like psilocybin mushrooms, things like lysergic acid or LSD, um, even MDMA, ecstasy. These are all things that I will be honest, I have, I have tried, I have used in different ways, um, with care and caution. And, and to me, it's, it's kind of a big reality of life that has gone largely ignored or, or silenced, uh, sort of drugs in general. You know, I just recently watched uh, Kinsey. Have you seen the movie Kinsey with Liam Neeson? Uh, no. So it's it's about a Dr. Kinsey who actually uh, worked for Indiana University where I went to school, and he was about the first person to ever study sex 
at a time back in the 40s and 50s when nobody talked about sex. He was out there, you know, pushing for, for actual scientific study on human sexuality. And he was kind of the guy that broke the silence about sex in our modern culture. And he, you know, through his, uh, you know, through his work, we've learned so much about human beings and our sexuality. And to me, it's, it's a damn shame that a lot of these substances have not been studied, uh, for the last however many years because of, you know, legality. We need to understand how these can be used therapeutically, medicinally, um, recreationally. I, you know, I am, I'm basically an advocate of, of the freedom to choose when it comes to these kind of substances. Um, you know, I, I've, I've come to align myself like you with kind of libertarian thought and to, to say that somebody doesn't have the right to grow something in their backyard and roll it up in a piece of paper and light it and inhale it. Uh, you know, that's to me, it's the most un-American notion you could ever have. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And, and you know, it, it, there's like almost three factors there. Number one, most of this stuff, and I, I do, you know, caveat that with most, because there are certain things I just think like, no, you shouldn't do that. Right? Right. Like, like meth, like meth mm -hmm. is bad. Okay. Like, don't like crack. Like, come on. Like, there are some substances you really shouldn't do. So then, be there. Yeah. but a lot of these substances that we've been so terrified by, there is a way to use them. There is a way that they can be beneficial and we should stop pretending that there isn't. Right. Exactly. And there, and there are amazing advancements that we might be able to make in medical, the medical field if we research them, uh, major anti-cancer properties and, and dealing with psychological issues. Then you have the, the moral issue of I don't have a right to tell you what to do with your body. Right. Period. I, I don't have mm -hmm. a right to tell you what to do with your body. So if you want to do something destructive to yourself, as long as I don't have to pay for it, then I don't have a right to tell you no. You can't do it. So there's just a moral. Then there's an effectiveness. Like prohibition just doesn't work. All prohibition does is create a market that's based on violence, right? Because there's violence in an attempt to suppress it and violence by the people that purvey the market because they have to be violent because that's how you make money in a black market. And as soon as you take away the prohibition, that just goes away. There just isn't violence in the market Like, you don't, nobody is fighting for which street corner they control for the sale of cannabis in California. Right. It just doesn't exist, right? You know, it's, even though they haven't done it perfectly, they've done it well enough that, 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 that whole violence in the drug trade for that substance is gone. Next, there's like all these substances that can be used safely that if you don't prohibit them, then people are not so incentivized to go use meth because it's cheap. Because now there's, an, there's a legal option. So there's all of these. And then you find out, like, okay, the two companies that probably had the biggest effect on building the modern technological marvel of the world that we live in are Microsoft and Apple. And, like, all of those guys in their creative departments the last, you know, through the 80s and 90s were microdosing. Mm -hmm. And that's all public now that that's what was going on. Like, And we were telling our kids, like, if you touch this stuff, you'll end up in a gutter and you'll die and you whatever. And, like, the people that built the freaking Internet and built our computers and our mobile devices. Because, you know, if, like, if Microsoft and, and, and Apple were doing that, freaking Google was, too. They just didn't say it yet, right? So, like, all these people that built all this technological marvel were all microdosing things like psilocybin. 
uh, maybe we're lying to people, and maybe we should stop lying. And then it's the same thing with education. People get angry about that. And two years ago, people would lose their minds when you suggested that a child that gets seizures should be able to use CBD, and then all of a sudden it's all okay. Because a magical leprechaun switch called legality came. And that which was immoral became moral because it became legal. That The mindset of conditioned people is unbelievable to me. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, not only are we still kind of resisting the potential benefits of a lot of these things, we're not, not only that, but we're still punishing people um, for no good reason. Uh, yeah. Just as an example, one of my, one of my best friends, we were about a month out from graduating high school. And it was a regular um, practice of our administration that they would bring in drug dogs to yeah. sniff up and down the hallways and to sniff throughout the parking lots. And, you know, to be fair, my friend certainly smoked weed. Um, I, at the time, didn't smoke any weed, but him and I were still good buddies. And and the dogs hit actually on both of our cars that day. So I, I had never taken a toke in my life at this yeah. point. And I gladly, you know, let them search through my car. I was totally treated like a criminal the entire time. You know, they found a Bic lighter down at the bottom of my center console and said, well, what do you need this for? I said, I don't know. Lighting cop cars on fire. See, I'm the guy. I would have got thrown in jail because I I light cop cars on fire with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, they, they searched my car high and low, treated me like garbage the whole time, didn't find a thing. My friend's car, they searched it high and low. They found a Ziploc baggie with some uh, residue, shall we say. Yeah. Not even, nothing, nothing you could even get high off of. But they expelled him when it tested positive. Uh, they kicked him out with less than a month in his high school career for no damn reason. Um, and just, it's time that we stop doing that to our kids and start. Because that's them. what he needed right then. Yeah. Right, right to be right. expelled from high school and not have his diploma. Right. Because the funny of thing is, he still a, a got find, he got finds his, it a bag, right? He got he got his diploma before the rest of us cuz he just oh. took his last couple of classes online. Yeah. And, you know, so it didn't it didn't screw him up too bad, but he was on probation for a while and it, you know, it's a black mark on his record and and for what? You know, he never he's one of the best people I ever knew, you know. Why, why bother that, you know, some poor kid, you know, treating him like a criminal for a little empty Ziploc baggie, even if it wasn't empty, who gives a shit? That's my opinion. He had a little bit of weed and the guy that's busting him probably smoked plenty of weed when he was a kid too. Oh, probably. Cops joke about it all the time and then they they turn around and bust people for it. So we're not going to solve that problem today. So we'll move on and wrap up. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And I, I think that like the most surprising mental gymnastics I have ever seen are the places where, let's say, cannabis has been almost completely decriminalized and legalized. And there's people in jail for it Mm. from before it was legalized. And you propose that, hey, why don't we we let those guys out? Right. Since what they did is now legal. And to watch somebody defend keeping them in jail because it was illegal when they did it. Holy crap. You know, just when I'm like, I have seen the bottom of humanity's stupidity. I have seen as dumb as we have become. Nope. Nope. Have not seen it yet. This is, and all this shows me is there's a deeper dumb I haven't seen. And I, 
I, I just I struggle with this. But then I also remember, like, okay, Jack, your your generation was the one with Nancy and Ronnie that told us that you know drugs were for losers and there was a war on drugs and just say no and all drugs just were bad no. and programmed to believe that shit so deeply that you know a lot of people never broke free of it. That was exactly what they were supposed to. They figured if we brainwash you that all drugs are bad, you won't do drugs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what ends up happening is some portion of those kids like, yeah, I'll smoke some weed. And then they do it, and then nothing happens. All these horror stories of turning into a fried egg or whatever never happened. You go you go take your test a little bit toked, and you get a better grade than you ever did before. And you're like, well, I can't walk around wasted all the time, but somebody lied to me. Yeah. You know, right. and, and you grow up and you don't end up doing it all the time or something anyway. You know, you, you figure out that, like, there's a place for recreation, there's a place for certain things. But this concept of, of putting people in a cage over a substance is one of the most immoral things that government does. You know, I can say I can tell you some way more immoral things that we did, but of things that we still do, it is one of the most immoral things that we still do to our own. I guess if I put war in there, it takes a distant, you know, back seat. But when it comes to what we do to our own people that we supposedly are serving, it is the, mm-hmm. one of the most immoral things in the world to take somebody and say, you ate a plant, so you're going to prison. That, it's, it, it's preposterous on its face. And people will say it doesn't happen anymore. Yes, it does, depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, part of the stupidity of itself. So if I did this in California... No one would care. And it's not much different than the gun thing. So this magazine Mm -hmm. makes me a citizen with a magazine in Texas and a felon in Connecticut. It's the the same logic, and I I, I find it ironic that people can't make that leap, but... Like I said, we won't solve that today. Let's, let's no, that's that's a big topic, and we, we definitely won't get to the bottom of it. I, I think the good news there is that is that is moving in the right direction. It is. It like is. if gun control Finally. seems to be going in the wrong direction, I think substances are moving in the, in, in the generalist right direction. We're finally talking about it, that's yeah. for sure. So as a polymath, you know, you're, you're part of a group. You're always learning, challenging yourselves in some way. What are your next challenges going to be? What do you have lined up for your, you know, your kind of your next steps? Yeah, so right now my my focus is on my business, uh, especially given that it's spring and I'm in the, the vegetable gardening world. But like I said earlier, you know, I, I'm selling the idea of subscription based vegetable gardens, low maintenance for the for the customers. So I'm really trying to kind of perfect that and get it to a point of being sort of self perpetuating. Um, you know, definitely going to be looking to kind of bring in some help eventually. Uh, right now it's a total one man show, but that's, that's the priority right now. Um, always kind of something on my horizon is, is trying to plan and execute the next trip. Um, I just bought myself a dual sport motorcycle that I'm going to be equipping out with, you know, luggage carriers and everything. And going to try to plan a bit of a cross country motorcycle trip on that. Cause, cause what the hell I kind of just want to do it. And, uh, and then, I don't know, the other thing, uh, is I want to, I want to get more into making art. Um, I've, I've started writing, I've started writing poems, um, but I'm tempted to start getting into things like, uh, stone carving, woodworking, uh, to a more kind of fine level. And, uh, I don't know, creating things just for the sake of creating beauty. Um, you know, my, my job, I'm lucky in that I have my kind of art in the garden, but 
I want to, I want to, I think that's part of being a polymath is, uh, kind of always expanding, expanding your horizons and art is a big part of that. Um, and then kind of the biggest two goals for my next, say five or 10 years are going to be to purchase property, um, and start a family. Those are, those are kind of the, the big ones. So very cool. Yeah. And, and you have a website for this business. You want to remind people what that is so they can check it out, especially if they're in your area. Sure. Yeah. So I serve central Indiana, um, and a little bit in southern Indiana. And the website is easypeasygardens.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, if you want to follow what I do, even if you're not in my area, you can find me there. And, uh, anyways, you might be able to find inspiration. I, I think a lot of people, it seems like this is going to be a good year despite coronavirus. Uh, a lot of people want to start gardening. So, If you're looking for inspiration, uh, go to my website, go to my Instagram, see what I've built. Cool interview with a great guy. I hope you guys enjoyed that today. I love my interviews that come out that are just discussions like that, and I, I hopefully a lot of takeaways in today's episode. I really do encourage you to get by uh, Michael's website, which, again, is um, easypeasygardens.com, and take a look at what he's doing. Not so much so to become his customer, because there's probably a very small number of people that actually listen to this show and live where he serves. But boy, what an interesting business model. Uh, check it out. Check out his Facebook. I'll have links to all that in the show notes today. With that, we have wrapped up another episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh want to remind you a couple ways you can support this show. One, uh, it would be to become a member. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com slash members, or you can just go to tspc.co and click on the members tab, and you can sign up there, and you can get the membership that's only $50 a year and a great deal for that uh, for 25 bucks a year right now. So do consider becoming a member. Um, this is a good time to do it. Uh, I made a dumb statement that I would leave the sale in place until the national lockdown order was rescinded. I don't know how long it's going to go on for. It's probably going to be the longest sale I ever ran, but do take advantage of it because I promise you, the second it lifts like a millimeter, I am taking the sale down. But 25 bucks is the discount code. Uh, next up, you can also do your online shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go there. Do your online shopping from T-Spaz, and no matter what you buy, you help us out. Item of the day today is the Century 24-Hour Mechanical Timer. I brought it around because, well, it's one of the items I recommend that you can get. Um, a lot of stuff is really hard on availability right now due to uh, Amazon prioritizing some things over others with shipping and then just limited availability of certain things and, and you know, the whole COVID thing. Uh, this one, though, is shipping You know, pretty much like everything always has shipped, maybe an extra day. Um, this product is just so versatile. I use this for my aquaponic systems. Instead of running my pumps nonstop, I run them for 30 on, 30 off, or 30 on, 15 off, or whatever. Anything to save money and wear and tear on the pump. I use them to turn the lights on and off on my fish tanks. I use them to do lighting during the winter in my bird coop to keep my birds laying eggs. I use them for so many things. Now, here's why I like them. I have a hatred of technological devices that are complicated or difficult to use. I hate them. And for a long time, I've considered mechanical timers to be the devil. The ones with the little pegs you take in and take out, and does it mean this or that, and does it work? And the digital ones, oh, good Lord, you have to have a programming degree. These things are simple. They have little pins you push down. Now, they're not the little stupid, like old ones you move around. There's little pins you push down around the rim. And if you want to run a pump, let's say, 15 minutes every hour, you push down every fourth pin. 
Then you don't, it doesn't even matter what time you set it to if you're doing that. If you want something to be on from, let's say, 8 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock at night, like fish tank lights, you push down all the pins between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m., and then you just turn it. If it's 1 o'clock, you turn it to 1 p.m. where the arrow points to it, and you're done. That's it. And it works beautifully. It's incredibly flexible. The only limit is all your time blocks are 15 minutes. You want more precision than that, you got to go to something digital. But, man, for 9 bucks a piece, these things are awesome. Check them out. Century 24-hour mechanical timers. You guys that are doing aquaponics, hydroponics, all that stuff, this is an absolute critical piece of the system because there's no reason to run your pumps 24 hours a day. It's spending money you don't need to spend, spending energy you don't need to spend, and putting wear and tear on a device you do not need to put on it. It's just not necessary, so use these things, including running ebb and flow beds that never fail. How do you do that? You run 15 minutes on, 15 minutes off. You deliver water through one stack out through the bottom all the way with no stand-up pipe. That's where you deliver. You put a second stand-up pipe in. You bring the water level up to that stand-up pipe. When the timer kicks off, the water goes back down through the delivery hole, and there's no siphon, and it can't fail. 15 minutes on, 45 minutes off. You run one cycle of 15 minutes full every hour and 45 minutes of drained. If you want to do it, you don't think that's good enough, run 15 on, 15 off. Either way, works perfectly. Been doing it with my flood tray in my vertical farm. Love it, love it, love it. Zero failures. Nine bucks, Century 24-hour mechanical timer. But these, no matter what you buy, help us out. Shop tspaz.com. Buy anything. Just go there first. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. We're in Neil Diamond week. I, I keep saying this because I kind of, I don't know, I just feel like the need to say it. Not really a fan of Neil Diamond, but I'm actually enjoying Neil Diamond Week anyway. This song I really dug, and it kind of fits today's show. Good job, John Adam. Without knowing it, you did it again. Uh, it's called Shiloh. And this song's about having an imaginary friend as a young boy. And Neil said that this song's at least partially autobiographical. Maybe it's not exactly, but that he did have imaginary friends as kids and had this place to escape to inside his head. Let me tell you something about this and why it fits today, being a polymath. I have lots of conversations inside my head. Now, I don't have an imaginary friend named Tom or anything like that. But I have discussions. I tell stories to myself. I run scenarios in my head constantly where I literally can hear the narrative mentally. So it's not audible, but yet I can hear it, and I hear it in specific voices and things like that. I'm not about being crazy and, and thinking you hear voices and things are talking. I'm talking about consciously taking control and running these scenarios. What if this, then that type of thing? I think if you want to be a polymath, you almost have to do that. Because that's how you get so many things done, and that's how you stay so diverse, and that's how even when you're working on this one thing, you're already planning the next just an interesting way these two things fit together like puzzle pieces. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Young child with dreams Dreaming each dream on your own When children Seems like you end up alone Papa says he'd love to be with you If he had no time So you turn to the only friend you can find Clearing your 
Shallow, you always came. Come today. 